Winter. Hello, winter. Those uh, short days and those long, dark nights. And then those gray days, those are the ones that get to me. Those days on end where you don't see the sun. Remember, I come from a place where it's summer, 365 days a year. Those gray days, they can get to me in the winter. And, and it's dangerous too, right? Snow squalls and whiteouts and snowstorms and ice storms and icy roads. It, it's a difficult time. No wonder in winter we kind of get to this moment where we want to just huddle in the cabin and put on your coat and sit in front of the fire and not go out. Is it winter where you are right now? You kind of feel trapped in that perpetual chill and darkness? A friend of mine can understand that really well, can relate to that. I was back there, you know, just a while ago, known this man for a long time in my life. I with God's grace, was part of his faith walk, getting to know the Lord late in his life. Wonderful man, built a beautiful company. His wife now, when she wakes up in the morning, struggles because some mornings he doesn't recognize her. And he's not allowed to drive anymore and he can't go outside the gate on his own. I went to visit, and I sat there with him, and I said, how are you doing? And he just started crying. And he got up and he walked away and he went inside. After a while he came back and he said, I'm sorry, I had to settle myself. And he sat down and he says, I struggle with two words right now, peace and hope. You see, the winter I'm talking about has nothing to do with the experience you have of living close to one of the two poles. A divorce will do just fine. So will chemotherapy. So will a funeral. Or loneliness or depression. And by the way, I'm going to do a little series coming in, in May, and we're going to talk about mental health on two, three Sundays. I'm going to talk about that, because it's something that's so part of our winter in our world. Do you know the kind of winter that I'm talking about? For the past three years, it felt like the whole world was stuck in winter, and we're searching for springtime. And, and when I'm saying that sometimes life feels like winter, I'm not saying something that you don't know. But sometimes it just feels like I could put on my winter coat as much as I want and tie it up and close it up and go out there. But that wind is just too strong and it's just too cold. And I wonder, will it ever end? So for those of you like me who struggle with this, God has a six-letter word. 
that encourages us. E-S-T-H-E-R. Esther. That little book that was written, 10, 10 chapters, that was written with her name in there about this young woman was written to be read in the wintertime of our lives. It's written for people who are emotionally weary. People whose, whose lives feel that they're upside down and they don't know whether they can see another day. It's like as if God in, in his, in his divine moment of, of just knowing us, in this divine providence, heard the prayers of all of us over the ages, saying, Lord, we're stuck in the winter chill of February. And God says, come walk with me for a while. Just come walk with me and see what I can do. And that's the invitation for the next seven weeks, starting today. Come walk with me and see what I can do as we walk through that little book of Esther. So today I'm not going to read all of the Esther stuff. We're going to do that. We're going to do 10 chapters. I'm going to preach on all of those for you. Today I want to give you an introduction to set the scene of what it is all about. Because if we don't get that, we won't understand the rest of what is coming. So let me put you in the, in the context and the background of a little, little bit. So, so the setting is, and, and there's a slide for this, uh, Grace. The setting, uh, is this, this citadel of Susa or Shushan. And you'll see there's a yellow little circle around that. Uh, in, in the empire of, of Persia, and the Persian empire right now, at this time, it's the 5th century BC, is huge. So from east to west, it's about 7,100 kilometers. So for those who do miles, 4,464 4, miles. From east to west. So it comes from the Punjab area of India. Were you guys there, Shaila? No. Punjab area uh, of India, right to Macedonia, Greece on, on, on the west, going right down to Khartoum in Sudan. So huge, 44% of, of the population were part of the Persian Empire. That's what we're dealing with. Uh, thanks, Grace. A small percentage of that we'll find in this Persian Empire are Jewish people. They were displaced in 586 and taken into Babylonian exile. For 80 years, they were there in Babylon. The Persians came and they took over. So this is third-generation exiles living in Persia. So they're taken away from their homeland. They have no temple. They're stuck in Persia. And they're desperate people. And sometimes desperate people do desperate things. So they have a choice, and I want you to remember this next word because you'll hear it again, and maybe you write it down. In their despair, they had a choice that they could remain faithful to God and who they were, or they could decide to assimilate with the culture and the people where they lived. Because the Persians were a fickle people. They were hard and tough people. 
So it would be easier just to say, listen, let's just go with the flow. Let's just become part of what's going on here. And let's just assimilate that will just make life so much better for us. Choice they had. We'll see what their choice is when we get there. So now let me introduce you to the cast. And are they ever interesting? The first member of our cast is the king of Persia. His name, as you'll find him throughout the Old Testament, is Ahasuerus. It's kind of like saying, Ahasuerus. But we're not going to use that name. Way too difficult. We're going to use his Greek name, which is far easier to say, Xerxes. King Xerxes is what we'll know him as. Uh, he, he was interesting. He loved wine. He had no regard for women. And his convictions changed with the weather. The Bible kind of paints him as a wimp. He was much more of a drinker than he was a thinker. Uh, he never made decisions for himself. He always delegated all of his decisions to his counsel. Even when his marriage got in trouble, he didn't take care of that. He had his advisors take care of that. And if you got him on a good day and he had enough wine in him, he would even agree to genocide, wiping out a people. There's your first character, King Xerxes. The second character is the villain. His name is Haman. Could call him the hangman too. You'll see why. Haman the villain. Haman was, was a, a very, very rich man, a very influential man, and he was part of the council of King Xerxes. He had the ear of the king, he had the ego of a maniac, and he even wanted people to worship him. But above all, Haman hated the Jewish people, and he wanted to get rid of them completely. Listen to what he says. This is in chapter 3 of Esther, and we'll get back with this again. So then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people, interesting, very kind translation. The, the Hebrew is a little more rude when he speaks about the people, really, really doesn't use good terms. There's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I, Haman, will give 10,000 talents of silver. Can I, can I translate that into modern day English? 340 metric tons of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. He's quite the guy, isn't he? Prepared to give all of that just because he hated these people and wanted to just completely get rid of them. There was especially, third member of our cast, there was especially one Jew that he couldn't stand that got under his skin. His name was Mordecai. Now, Mordecai also had no love left for Haman. And when Haman said, you need to bow before me, he said, you got another day coming, not going to happen. 
He never did anything that Mordecai wanted, uh, that, that Haman wanted him to do. He stood against that. But, but, I want to say this in the beginning. It wasn't like that from the start go. He waffled a little bit in the beginning. He, he wasn't all that strong. Later, he would get his footing and then watch out Haman. But as I say that, and I think of Mordecai, it just reminds me of an amazing, important theme that we find throughout the Bible, and I want you to hear that. In every situation, God has his person. Things might seem lost, but they never are, because God has his person. There's a Joseph for every famine. There's a Goliath, there's a David, sorry, for every Goliath in your life. There is a Rahab, the prostitute, for every situation that looks like it's never going to work out. And you're going to see that over and over in this little book. In every situation, can you hear that? In yours too, in your winter. God as a person. And you're not alone. Even when things seem that they're lost. Which brings us to the last cast member. Her name is Hadassah. Or as we know her, Esther. She was Mordecai's cousin. She was an orphan. Her mother and father died. And then Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, she was a stunningly beautiful woman. When Xerxes saw her, he lost his mind. That's how beautiful she was. But here's the thing. She comes into the story because of her beauty, but she stays in the story because of her convictions and of her courage. And we're going to talk about convictions courage. So, there's your cast. Xerxes, the wimp. Haman, the villain. Mordecai, the waffler. And Esther, the beauty queen. And God? Where's God in all of this? Here's the interesting thing. The book of Esther is one of only two books in the Bible that never mentions God's name ever. Do you know that? Do you know what the other book is? No, he's in Job. What other one did you say? Did you say Job? No. Song of Songs. Song of Psalms. Shir Hashirim in the Hebrew. Never mentions God. It's all love songs between husband and wife. It's all kind of scary stuff. It's PG 18 when you read Song of Songs. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm not even joking about that. So they're all going to go read Song of Songs this evening. Yes. I got you. You see, that's what I do. I get you to go read your Bible. And, and Valentine's Day is coming up. You don't have to go buy a Valentine's Day card. You go read Song of Songs and you find a passage in there to give to your loved one. Because it is beautiful. It is beautiful to go read. But let me get back to Esther. Sorry. God's never mentioned in the book of Esther. You never hear God said this or God commanded this or God did this. 
It's just silence. Why? Maybe, maybe you can relate to that in your own life. Sometimes God is silent. And it feels like God is just absent. Everyone else talks about what God is doing in their lives. And they hear God, what God wants for them. But for you, it's dark and cold. And you just don't hear. And you wonder, is God still there? Does God care about me? Well, here's the thing. In this little book of Esther, there's the subtext that runs the whole time that speaks of God's quiet providence. And I'm sorry for the big words. Let let me break them down for you. Leave the word quiet for a second. God's providence. You know what God's providence means? It's a big old theological term that says that God is still present and working in his world. God didn't just speak this world into being and then sat back and said, well, let's see what happens to you, whether you can mess it up or make it work. God is still in control of this world and working in this world and taking care of this world. That's what the word God's providence means. But the fact that God is royal and that God is working doesn't mean that God is so preoccupied with the perils on Mars that God doesn't care about you and your pain and your struggle and that he doesn't hear you. We've seen how God is incredible and how his hand worked. His hand, his hand opened that reed sea. His hand brought manna from heaven. His hand made a virgin pre- pregnant. His hand opened a tomb and from death came life. But here's the thing. For every godly shout, there are a million godly whispers. The book of Esther is all about the whispering God. God doesn't have to be shout, doesn't have to shout to be strong. God doesn't have to cast a shadow to be present. In his silence, he is there, and he knows, and he hears, and he cares. Did you need to hear that? Do you need faith in a faithless world? Mordecai and Esther did. Do you need courage for those chilly, dark winter days? Mordecai and Esther did. You know what? You're going to see that they received that. Is it hard for you some days? And it feels like it's just never going to end? I saw it's laughed when Peter this morning said, it's a balmy two degrees out there because we so want those winters to go, right? And even two degrees feels like it's summer. All of a sudden, 
Do you sometimes need that two-degree moment? Walk with me through the book of Esther, because you're going to see them even in the dark days, even in the days that are chilly, even in those moments when you feel that your life is upside down and downside up, and, and you don't know whether you're ever going to get out of this chill, and you just don't know if you'll ever hear that voice again. Can I tell you, God always has a person. And he won't let you down. You know, in Esther, God had his person. In your story, God has you. And who knows? Who knows if God made you, says Esther, exactly for a moment such as this. So for the next six weeks, come walk with me with a God who speaks even when he is silent. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you understand. That you also understand the winter's of our lives because you walk this earth and you know that you sat in the garden and you cried and you wept and your sweat was like blood and you understood the silence and the darkness So when we walk, Lord, thank you that you are there and that we don't need you to shout, but that you are there in a million whispers in our lives. And we can hold on to that. Thank you that we too are made for a time like this. And you are going to teach us how, how to live and how to work also in the dark and the chill as we walk through Easter. But in this day, who knows as we sit here, Lord, the needs. So in this moment, I just want to lift up all of these people of yours to you, Lord. And as you sit here or as you watch online, and in this moment you need you need God to just speak, speak into your life and touch you. And just bring a little bit of light into maybe dark. Take this moment, just say that. Say that to him in silent prayer. And as you say that, allow him to whisper. Allow him to remind you that he is there. Thank you, Lord, that we may ask. And thank you, Lord, that you answer. As we pray in the name of Jesus. 
Amen.